the yogis say that you need to burn the seed of ignorance, the seed of forgetfulness of the self. Like you don't want to just, you know, bury it, hide it or trim it. <laughs> like you actually want, you need to burn the seed <laughs> so it never has a possibility to sprout into, you know, the whole forest of separation. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, here to illuminate your practice as we discover what it means to walk the yogi's path. Together with wise friends and awakening teachers, we uncover the answers to our greatest questions. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to the show, Curious Yogis. Another episode, another delightful conversation to share with you and a joy to introduce my friend and fellow satsangi Sundaram. Sundaram is originally from Poland. We had the delight of meeting in India and I've crossed his path many times in the last 10 years and I just love this conversation. Sundaram has been meditating since his early teenage years and after traveling to India and meeting his guru, he has been living and studying in the Himalayas for 15 years and the knowledge he received he shares in workshops, online satsangs and animated spiritual stories known as yoga tales. And we get into all of that. We get into what is meditation, how to meditate, why it's hard, the power of scripture, the power of story, the power of keeping our attention on the highest, keeping our attention on our true nature. So without further ado, here is my lovely conversation with Sundaram. All right, welcome Sundaram to A Curious Yogi Podcast. Thank you, great to be here. It's really wonderful to be here and you know, we've known each other for quite a long time, probably about 10 years and um, I'm just really excited to have you on the show because I know you have lots of cool things you're working on, but mostly because you're just such a satsang friend to me. I know your attention is always on the highest space and I think that's something that the podcast listeners or the curious listeners, the curious yogi listeners, they really love to tune into that space. So I'm just excited to have this conversation with you. Great, my pleasure. So I always love to kind of start off, like I guess this is kind of me being the curious yogi as I get so lit up when I meet other yogis and other spiritual seekers or jigasus and I love to just hear how you came on to this path. Like how did you end up, you know, getting turned on to Advait Vedant and deciding to travel to India and coming onto your whole spiritual path like this? You know, maybe the Coles Notes version, but you know, what kind of got you to this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can pinpoint any specific there was no event that uh, uh, got me into it it seems like from the just from the very beginning uh, like I was 15 when I started meditating and doing yoga uh, I just met someone who who was in to India and uh, she she spoke just wonderful things and somehow immediately from the from that meeting I I wanted to try to meditate and uh, from from the first sessions uh, it was definitely something I felt it's the, it's working that something is happening that it's not just sitting 
with nothingness, but actually uh, closing the eyes and directing attention on my knowing presence, that this definitely felt like it's starting some inner process. So that got me uh, very encouraged to continue with the practice. Because I think that uh, that is the most crucial for me in the practice of meditation. So that we develop ability to perceive subtle aspects of our existence. Because if our attention is constantly only attending very intense sensations from the senses perceived through the senses of external world, then when we close the eyes initially, of course, it feels like, what should I do? Like nothing is happening. But uh, when, when we give it time or through the practice, we, we develop the natural ability to perceive subtle, then, then we actually know what we're practicing and then it becomes fascinating. So, uh, so I think for me that was just uh, good luck or, or call it whatever. But from the very beginning, as soon as I heard about meditation, uh, it felt like it is some authentic, uh, something I can practice, something I can observe and discover, and it was fascinating. So, so then I read lots of books and uh, I joined a few spiritual groups that were around uh, in Poland where I grew up. And then it took me seven years before I came to India for the first time. And then I was lucky that on that first trip uh, I I met uh, Swami Shyam in the Himalayas, uh, a teacher who was uh, extraordinary, but he was working with a relatively small group of people. So when I came through a friend I met before, when I came to his ashram and found a teacher who speaks daily, that I can ask a question and explore the the topic of meditation, then that became, of course, the turning point. Then everything in me wanted to learn more. It was clear that I want to spend at least next few years... Uh, using this opportunity of having a living master who thoroughly explored the topic of yoga and meditation. Yeah, I think that's something that's interesting about every kind of person that I've met that's really, really inspired to keep meditating and exploring this topic of meditation is that there's some kind of like not one happening but this spark within us that is so drawn to the knowledge and even you know when you're describing yourself as 15 years old and so fascinated by meditation I think that speaks to the rare being because a lot of 15 year olds are fascinated with video games and you know girls and like all these things or maybe you know you had these aspects of your life but I think it's it's so rare the person at any stage in life that actually wants to consider the subtle aspects, like you said, like what's there 
beyond just the senses. And not only is it rare to desire to know more about that, but it's so rare to find a teacher or a community that really goes into the subtle aspects. Like we live in a world where yoga, the physical part of yoga is so mainstream now, but meditation and it's not so popular in this way that you study it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I mean, that's so so true, but that's why uh, like podcasts like this or a um, few things I do that uh, I'll probably mention late, will mention later, uh, what's incredible about uh, kind of niche uh, channels like, uh, like, like your podcast, that there are more people like, uh, you know, like, like me and you or you who are, you know, born to this world, are looking around but they don't necessarily resonate with what people are interested about around them. So um, pro probably for for every of you know uh, of people uh, like myself, there is a phase period when you're trying to fit in, but it doesn't really work, and uh, no, and it just doesn't work. So then, like I myself, I'm you know I find myself super lucky that. I met a teacher and because then for the first time I could relate to what someone is interested in. Yeah, before there was just uh, such a lack of uh, inspiration, <laughs> like anything that people were talking about, that was never mine. And um, and when I, came, when I came to India and I met my teacher and uh, all the people in, in, in his ashram, it was probably the first time when I actually felt at home, felt that I can talk with people freely. I can uh, just share what's really inspiring me. And since, you know, since probably two, three years, I started sharing what I learned here uh, online in the form of videos or, or guided meditations. And then the response to that uh, did show me that Yes, it's a very niche topic. It's a not, as you said, not many people are interested in this knowledge and even less uh, actually recognize uh, this knowledge of this ancient wisdom of India, which is basically the knowledge about one original pure witness self. So few actually just recognize it so fully as their own that they pursue it that they want to learn more but because they are then uh, to, to share it it's, it's even more precious mm -hmm. yeah I can relate to what you're saying about not fitting in and trying to make things work in the world when there's this like sense of disillusionment in the world but then for me I found like once I came onto this path once I met Swamiji, once I started to really commit to my sadhana, then like somehow just kind of like you and we were saying before we started recording, like then the projects or the things that I'm putting out there, it's kind of like everything is an extension of that because the sadhana kind of doesn't stop. Like once we really start to live it, it kind of permeates all aspects of our lives, which is why 
I love the project that you were working on for like, I think like five years, right? Like quite a while called Yoga Tales. And I would love if you could share a little bit about what it is and what the inspiration was behind it. And then I'm definitely going to ask you about your favorite Yoga Tales. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, at some point studying this knowledge and learning, you know, reading uh, phenomenal stories. Like I find... Uh, some stories from ancient Indian scriptures are just phenomenal because these are stories. So it's kind of a nice thing to to read, to listen. That it, it you know it has uh, some kind of uh, plot to follow. So it's uh, easier to listen to it, and I find those stories so unique, like like no other stories I came across from any other culture. Because these stories keep talking about the self, the witness self. Because in any stories I grew up with, they were always talking about morality. Like, that, like you know, the wise stories that, you know, most cultures tell, it's about morality. But they don't, but like those Indian stories, especially, you know, from, from scriptures like, like Yoga Vaishisht, for example, uh, those stories talk about the illusion, how the perception happens, that uh, you perceive the whole world in a dream and you believe it every night. Then you wake up and and it's not there. And then I accept everything I perceive in the waking state. So like the those, uh, those deep Indian stories, they explore all those topics of perception, illusion, that I find uh, just too good not to share. So um, so at some point in 2017, uh, um, actually my brother, who who is a graphic designer, uh, he suggested uh, to just start animating uh, stories of of yoga and Indian scriptures. And so that's, that's how we started uh, Yoga Tales just to be able to, or in different words, in the spiritual world, in the, like anybody who's on the path of uh, self-discovery, then we have, we have many books, <laughs> more books than we can read. Uh, there are lots of uh, beautiful songs, all the mantras and chanting. There's uh, more than we can listen, but there aren't many movies. And, you know, by now, uh, most of the listeners uh, grew up in a culture where it's a normal thing to watch movies. That in a in a free time we like to watch something. But so there are either a few documentaries, but not many like uh, stories that uh, are talking about values of yoga, about values of. Uh, discovering your own self i think it's really like what you were saying before we started recording how when you kind of this project also is a way for you to keep your attention on the highest and also offer the same kind of service to others it's kind of like really cool that you know these stories these scriptures that really highlight the condition of the human mind, which is a timeless predicament 
that like, you know, a thousand years ago or whenever they were written, it was like reading them in a book. And now it's, we're in the digital age and it's like, we can now learn these stories in this way by visually watching them. It's kind of like, so cool to see it's like 2023 and the story is relevant and yet how it sh it's shared and how you and your brother Simon have decided to share it and offer it it's so modern and I think it speaks to like the timeless wisdom that's in the tales N nice nice I, I like I like how you said it especially that uh, like one time I was talking to a friend and feeling not very, you know, shy talking to a friend, I expressed that that some episodes uh, I stick pretty much strictly to the original scripture, but that sometimes the inspiration comes to alter it slightly, to to just kind of, um, yeah, to, to say it a little differently. And then I, I expressed to that friend of mine that actually... I find that it's uh, it becomes even better than the original scripture. And then I like how she responded to it that like in this field it's not really better or worse that it's one intelligence speaking you know it's one uh, truth or you know of non-duality one non-dual you know truth we could say that speaks itself through the ages through many mouths through, and then it's being heard through many ears. But so what What was the most perfect way to express, uh, you know, 1500 years ago will be expressed slightly different now. So it's not necessarily, you know, uh, making it better, but just making it more uh, relatable. Because for me, working on these stories for, for quite a few years now, the beautiful discovery is that when I watch especially if I have periods where where I need to attend other things and then if I watch some of the videos we did you know five years ago I kind of watch them with a sense like it's such a good knowledge like I can't I couldn't repeat that episode now like you know there's a sense like like wow like these are really good stories and there's almost a sense that I don't know if I could rewrite it as good today, which uh, and then when when I have time and inspiration, then yes, when our attention is focused on something, then yes, then we get tuned into um, to the wisdom, to, to that wisdom, which is in everyone. That is for me like a, a humbling aspect of this work. Uh, that I get to see who is actually speaking. And then from that perspective, uh, as you said, then I benefit from working on it because my attention is uh, on this knowledge. And and that, that links to, to the point we were talking before, that uh, where we engage our attention, what we engage with, it's, it's everything. Like it's everything to, you know, put attention, you know, to put attention left and you want to go right. It's, it's, it's not going to work. So actually, you know, when we want to uh, discover what's the truth of the witness self, of the one who's perceiving, of the one who is listening 
to these words right now. So if I want to discover the nature of the listener and I put attention all the time on things and forms that are being perceived, then no wonder it's difficult or it feels like uh, impossible. So then putting attention on uh, things that facilitate the narrative that me as a person in the world with many personal experiences, that narrative will, of course, strengthen the sense that uh, I'm a separate individual who is going to end at some point or who might lose things that I love, which is pretty much like a sense of fear of death. But then to be able to put attention on knowledge that shifts this narrative to I am the witness of this moment. I am the knower of all the situations and emotional reactions to those events. Then all of a sudden uh, we like almost are being given a new incarnation where uh, things that I used to things that I wanted to change, be free from certain habits uh, that would turn almost into addictions. By shifting the what I engage into, so many things just naturally drop off and then I can actually discover and notice, recognize that what I engage in will actually be what I experience. And specifically that there is no I here, like there is no me Sundaram as some constant figure. Rather, I would see an individual mind, individual consciousness as a kind of vessel. And so, you know, keep pouring one liquid to the vessel, but wanting to have a different content in the vessel. That's why it's a struggle and it doesn't work. But just surround yourself with knowledge of the witness self and all of a sudden you will feel yourself a different you, kind of the same you but different. And uh, for me that has been a journey of discovering that I guess just so much more happy because it's independent to kind of uh, like take a, to take a break from all the gaining, all the achieving, to take a break from that and to take that break long enough, however it's needed, but to take that break long enough to actually regain, find again that actually I'm so okay when I don't uh, create the sense of being imperfect or lacking or not there yet. So then to rediscover the fullness of simple presence, knowing that this presence is unchanging, therefore it's so safe, so needless, because it cannot be lost. That's been definitely a, a beautiful journey of discovering independence, fulfillment, that uh, all of a sudden it's, I would say, more in my hands not to lose it.
Mm-hmm. When you were speaking, I was kind of thinking of in the Gita, where Krishna is talking to Arjuna about non-doership, and you were kind of beautifully describing that in a way that, like, once we get beyond that sense that it's me, the individual, that has something to lose or gain or be in the world in that way, there is a kind of happiness that unfolds that's not that kind of happiness that's fleeting in that same way. And I liked what you said too about the fear of death because I actually am reading Patanjali right now and that's one of the, you know, kleshas, the hindrances to our reaching the kevalya or the self-realized state is the fear of death. And like what is that sense of doership or that sense of me like that causes us so much uneasiness, we can really boil it all down to that fear of death. I totally agree with you there about feeling that sense of happiness that gets unfolded through this practice. Have you found that in your sadhana, since you really started to make this work, your life's work, have you found that there's been kind of repeated not themes, but kind of challenges or topics or things that keep coming up and you have to kind of look at and unfold and look at and unfold because we know sadhana is a work and maybe it's incarnations or lifetimes, who knows. But like for me, I have kind of similar things that come up again and again. I'm wondering if you have that experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it links very organically with the fear of death that you mentioned Uh, because what's coming for me coming up for me again and again is this choice that everybody is facing every moment i believe which is what do i want so the whole life my actions like if if i would look only at my actions at most activities throughout the day so it would clearly be seen that through the whole through the whole life i believed that happiness is out there and i'm gonna get it through experience of something and that something keeps changing it keeps changing Uh, like you know as soon as you get one thing then actually since it doesn't last uh, it's actually almost subconsciously uh, after a moment of achieving something there is a recognition okay that wasn't it like that's still not the place of rest of home of stability so uh, yes I would say that still daily what I'm watching is that this human mechanism the habit of approaching happiness is based on the belief that I want so many things. But the discovery through attending, you know, satsang, meditation, reading scriptures, as a main part, main part satsang and meditation, uh, through that, uh, what I'm so thankful that the awareness started to dawn that I always wanted only myself. Actually, the whole life I only wanted to know 
myself. Behind every desire, there was actually a desire to know me. And that, I would say that is the, pretty much at the, at the, at the core of, of Patanjali that you mentioned, is that there is no peace until we know truly ourselves, until we know truly the unchanging being. I just watched your most recent video that you posted, the Yoga Tales, and it kind of was about this, how like how the human being, how we all want to find ourselves and we'll go to like the most extreme depths to find ourselves. But the kind of brilliance of the story of the Leela, the kind of play of God, that the gods that we've been hidden right here in the center of our own being. And I love how you express that, that what do we all want to, to be whole with ourselves, to know ourselves, but yet we get so tricked. We think to know ourselves means I have to know me as Bobby, the individual, but so rare ever to hear, especially not growing up in, in Indian culture or Easter, with Eastern philosophy being kind of present in upbringing to hear that not only like that you are God that God is living right here and that's who I am like it's such a a brilliant kind of finding once it's revealed and yet like it also feels sometimes like a work to maintain it which I guess that's where the sadhana comes in and and that's and that's where the you know like that's like yeah exactly I would say that especially where satsang comes in, and uh, and so I consider you know channel like this uh, your podcast or yoke tales like that's uh, places of satsang so you can connect to it because uh, I totally agree to to have a strong habit of identifying myself as a person who is wanting to get there but who is not there who is you know separate and uh, you know i want to uh, discover my true self but uh, as if i'm some separate self wanting to unite with my true self like with this kind of uh, uh, very strong uh, pattern of thinking it's so as you said it's such a impossible work to to sustain awareness of uh, the witness self because like then through through some practice or sometimes we can as if get a peak of that you know that kind of as if tiny switch but that changes everything to you know from being the doer of uh, of actions to being the witness of every moment every thought every emotion every even response so yeah so that can happen spontaneously to anybody but to maintain it that's it's such a humongous work unless we have an environment that supports it supports it yeah i would say it's 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 so such a hard impossible frustrating work 
to try, you know, to maintain awareness of pure self, the, the witness self, while being surrounded only with, uh, you know, philosophy of uh, separate entities. Yeah, I think that's why good company is so important. You're right about that. And you did say something too earlier that that once, you know, you start to meditate, start to go to satsang, start to be in the company and putting your attention on kind of everything and anything that guides the attention and the awareness to that point or that place of the watcher or the witness self, the other stuff kind of naturally falls away and yet we still get stuck, uh, at least I do anyway. It's like the, the sense of identification with a, as a human being comes back and yet then it's kind of this like falling away, dipping into meditation. It's such a powerful yet subtle practice and then, you know, carry on, carry on and then it gets stuck or get maybe I don't get stuck. It gets revealed where I'm identified. I don't know if you get those experiences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot. And actually, um, as uh, frustrating as they can be, we do come to see actually that uh, there are precious. There are precious because um, uh, one of the things on this path. Uh, I kept hearing about for years and only recently began to see the truthfulness of it is that the yogis say that you need to burn the seed of ignorance, the seed of forgetfulness of the self. Like you don't want to just, you know, bury it, hide it or trim it. <laughs> like you actually want, you need to burn the seed <laughs> so it never has a possibility to sprout into you know the whole forest of uh, separation so so that's what's been uh, like you know like um, in patanjali uh, as you said like it beautifully says that uh, any um, any sanskar and which which is a term for like i would say for for a memory like anything experienced can become a memory that will become like a seed that can sprout out out in sprout up into an identity uh, a desire an idea so and all of a sudden you know i experience something you don't know i saw a violin player you know 10 years ago and it made an impression like wow it's so beautiful like wow it's and everybody you know loved and appreciated that violin player etc but then i was busy but that memory was retained and in, in, in philosophy of yoga, that's called sanskar. So it can, you know, pop up in my head that, you know, all of a sudden, let's say I, I finished certain type of work, I have more time, and all of a sudden a thought will pop up, oh, I could learn violin. So, so you know, those kind of desires or ideas, memories can stay dormant. And it seems like, well, I have no desires, I'm such a free yogi. And then the certain situations, something gets stirred in the, in the consciousness, in the mind, and all of a sudden I'm accepting a thought, a memory as my truth, my wish, and then I 
spend uh, lots of time pursuing something that only only later I begin to reflect like actually that's not what I want to do like that's not what I find as my true fulfillment mm-hmm. yeah that's a great description of the sanskar and the seed and then I guess it's also like would you say that that's kind of the work of the sadhak or the yogi is we're kind of burning off that seed of ignorance like you said the ignorance of the um, ignorance of the self which is not knowing that true nature that we all desire and then planting the seeds of awareness of that witness self and then through the satsang and the meditation and the scripture and the study we're kind of watering that seed of awareness and that's kind of and then like a a weed of ignorance will pop up and then we got to burn it and then we get back to watering it's kind of like i don't know where this kind of came from but it kind of it feels like a not even a work but like a dance like a happy gardening situation <laughs> is happening yeah yeah and and as you, exactly and as you said before that all those situations that is at least that that um, all those situations situations that trigger uh, or you called it that uh, expose to me where I am identified in ways that actually are not mine that I would never willingly identify with that but unless it's being seen I live by things that actually were never mine so then actually when situation brings that up then actually you know then the situation waters let's call it the bad seeds the seeds of something that was experienced but i would never choose to live by it but then when it's being watered by a situation and it comes as a very strong you know identity or reaction then it's actually showing me okay the seed is there it was lying hidden so i thought like i'm i'm so free and unidentified not attached but then that seed being watered then grows and then i can see it and only then i can actually work on it only then i can you know burn it which actually i would say that uh, you know then the question would be okay how to burn the seed like probably that would be the the essential question and my take would be that actually the uncompromising loyalty to what i recognize as my truth so like if i see that my truth is actually freedom the free witness then any thought any memory coming up that oh i want this i want this i want this then if i apply the truth that I found about myself, that actually I am the witness. I am like, actually no object or form is my desire. My desire is only to be in the purity of, of free being. Actually, there's like, when we get to that point, there's not many words accurately describing it, but, but I would say that burning the seed of, uh, you know, bad habits, which means like you're burning all the seeds of uh, modes of functioning that I wouldn't choose, then we burn burn it by not 
acting on it. And if some seeds are so strong that we just can't help acting on them, at least at least do it consciously. Because you, very often we will, you know, escape into, you know, re, into kind of reject, um, like with with either shame or or if we so fully believe in something, then it's like uh, even we also then can't see it. But then to at least pay attention to do things consciously, I would say then the seeds also have a chance of being burned or the illusion of fulfillment has a chance of being dispelled just by the power of awareness, just attending something by, you know, like as if showing to you, to my own mind, like, like, look, this is what you're doing and this is what's the result. And that's not bringing me any closer to where I want to be. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting because, you know, the world that exists everywhere kind of celebrates, like we said before, that sense of doership. Like I have, I only I have the power to say, change my habits. And of course, you know, we do have free will and everything. But it's like, when someone closes their eyes, you know, on the outside, someone looking, it might be like, what are you doing? You're just sitting there doing nothing, closing your eyes. But yet there's such a power in, like you said, attending and watching. And because we don't, we can't fix or change or not even fix or change, just shift anything. Nothing can be shifted until we are aware of it. And the world works counterproductive to that awareness being. But the, it's so simple and so powerful but yet it's like it's not a secret but it's it kind of is in a way like it's so it's revealed through closed eyes through our own individual experience and yet what is revealed through the those experiences is that ever free being like you said but to get to that point I think is challenging for a lot of people because we can get so bound in that space where we just see the the sprout the the sprouts springing up the weeds popping up and it it can be hard and even like you said at the beginning when you started meditating like to actually attend to that with eyes closed it's a it can be a lot mm-hmm I mean, I like how how you said it, because I think that this is like why it's so difficult for for so many who are you know who want to meditate, but it's so difficult. Why? Because uh, there is uh, not enough of inspiration. Like that's why it's easier, you know. That's why for, for centuries people gathered in spiritual communities. That then like. Uh, they naturally they want to you know we all want to share our life and neighborhoods with people who live similarly uh, but especially with meditation i find like as i said like for the last uh, let's say three years uh, i'm doing online guided meditations and what's became clear through that that actually the work of 
teacher is to inspire the student. Like, a, like actually, teacher can't teach anything. There is certain knowledge that can be said, but after that, you know, only from within the student, you know, from within the person meditating, it can, it has to be a personal uh, discovery. However, it sounds it's a personal discovery of impersonal self. But, <laughs> but like that's like whenever. You know, someone expresses to me that, uh, you know, they close the eyes and it's difficult because there are, you know, usually the thing, because there are many thoughts. So then, like, I would say there are two ways to approach it. Like one, so many yogic techniques, you know, put attention on breath, third eye, watch the space in front of closed eyes, which is uh, one of my favorite, uh, which is uh, so powerful. But uh, but like so one way of what to do when you close the eyes and just you don't have a sense that you're meditating or thoughts are coming and it's not enjoyable or doesn't feel like that's how it should be. So one way is all the yogic techniques place to put attention on. And they work for some people uh, or it's sometimes to some extent. But what I find even way, way better, is to, if it's a situation of a guided meditation, to remind students, and if, and if you're meditating by yourself, remind yourself, actually, why are you sitting to meditate? That throughout the day, with open eyes, we experience, you know, sensory perceptions, so we always, throughout the day, we experience something seen out there. But in meditation, when we close the eyes, it's such a unique situation where it's so much easier to be aware of the witness self, of the one who is perceiving all those things. So then, instead of trying to kind of forcefully put attention on this or that to, uh, you know, um, have a break from thoughts memories then it's i find it so much better to just remind yourself that actually you have the opportunity to be with yourself like be with that self who's witnessing all the experiences throughout the day but now like so beautifully uniquely you can be just with yourself not trying to create anything here gain or anything you're just acknowledging that actually not only things perceived exist, but actually the one who perceives them is here, always at the center. So I would say that makes meditation always easier and it kind of makes it a, a beautiful, effortless practice, I would say, because then, then in that, like knowing that meditation is not about removing thoughts but about bringing in the one who perceives thoughts or anything then sit then sitting in meditation for however long one feels like or chooses to then from the first minute it is a beautiful meditation from the first minute you are aware that your witnessing presence is here and then if thoughts come you can still know, well, 
I'm still here. Like the witness, the knower is still here. So then all of a sudden thoughts are not uh, an obstacle. They're completely inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Great, beautiful description of meditation and how you're right, effortless it can be. And I also loved what you said too about the role of the teacher is to offer the student inspiration. And I think it's kind of also very in tune with coming back to yoga tales that that's can be another source of inspiration just like this podcast can be a source of inspiration and that when we're inspired to know the self then you know we get attracted to that which brings the awareness to the that space and inspires us to close our eyes and dig it for ourselves so i think it's just really beautiful and i'm wondering if you have any of the any of the tales that you've animated so far? I know you've done a lot of videos. Has there been one story that's been your favorite story or tale that you want to leave the listeners with? Just a, a short version? Well, um, I mean, it's, it's it would be impossible to choose one because actually all of them, um, honestly, I find phenomenal because, uh, you know, because of the original, you know, uh, scripture they all evolved from but i but what comes to my head now is uh, the opening story of um, yoga vaisheshta animated it's the series uh, like yoga vaisheshta is unbelievable old beautiful uh, scripture A very very profound like very profound it's so profound that's why it's it's not so well known because uh uh, probably without the right, uh, you know, preparation, uh, nobody knows how to understand it. But but that's why we kind of took on that challenge, and um, we nearly finished the first season. There is one more episode left, and the f- season one will be completed. Then it will be available as a separate purchase. Mm, right now, it's like all the uh, six episodes now are available on our Patreon. And the and the first first actually episode is uh, publicly free on on our YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's even on the landing page of our channel. So the story is about King, who very kind of uh, typically for for old ancient India, uh, when he reached certain age, he left the kingdom to his son. And he decided to pursue his spiritual practice. So he went to the mountains and he meditated and meditated. And uh, at some point, God Indra, like one of the celestial uh, powerful deities, um, sent his messenger to him to reward him for such a, a continuous uh, impressive practice so he sent the messenger to take him as a reward to heaven so when the king uh, so the messenger came and the king heard that he can be taken to heaven he was sitting in the mountains cold cave but he was he had an environment where he could practice putting attention on uh, on his true self 
And then this messenger comes and says, I can take you to heaven. So he asks, what this heaven is like? And uh, the messenger says, well, it's so beautiful. Like, uh, only joy and joy and happiness. Like, you don't need to work, no cold, no hunger, no anything. Uh, it's just wonderful. And you'll be there a thousand years before... Uh, you will have to come back to earth again. So then the king says, like, wait a minute. After a thousand years in this beautiful, most beautiful, wonderful place, after a thousand years, I'll be sent back here to the same place? And the messenger says, well, yes, that's that's how it works. That's, that's the law. Nobody can, you know, for some it can be thousand years, for some it can be ten thousand years, but you will always come back here. So then the king says, well, then thank you very much. Like, if I'm going to come back to the same place, I'd rather continue my practice to recognize that in me, which is unchanging. That perfect place of the unaffected witness who will never be kicked out from the from its uh, own self-awareness after a thousand years or ten thousand or ten thousand incarnations. So that's the story. So he says, like, you know, like, if heaven is not permanent, I'm not interested in it. Uh, and in the story, like, the, there is a little more, like, you can watch it on, on our YouTube. But what I love about that story is that pretty much it describes the situation of everyone every day. Which is like, do you do I choose, you know, a temporary escape, happiness, like an you know, escape into something pleasant, etc., or do I choose to take a little more effort and uh, and reach that which is unchanging, which is solid? Uh, for me, that was actually quite a breakthrough in my practice of meditation where at some point I valued more to kind of stay and watch to stay attentive than blissing out and disappearing into kind of temporary unconsciousness because it's like that story of this king that you know you're meditating you're meditating and as if after some time you know, as if a divine messenger comes and wants to take you to a blissful unconsciousness. But after a short time or long time, you come back to the same waking state, uh, you know, feeling like, uh, okay, I'm identified as a changing and dying, constantly losing entity again. So for me, that story like uh, indicates that to continue the practice of unchanging witness offers well offers the unchanging which means no dying no losing which is more valuable than anything world or heaven can offer mm, beautiful story yes i'll definitely put the links in to watch the that episode and all the episodes actually and just to wind up I always ask the guests at the end of the show if you could leave 
myself and the listeners with one point to inquire into for our own sadhana, what would you leave us with? Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice. Very, very, very nice, nice way to complete the session. I would say, like, check, like, that everyone can check or ask oneself, like, check what do you believe? If the solution gonna come from somewhere outside or if you're on the path of discovering yourself like then if that solution is gonna come from being with yourself attending yourself like as if as if i suggested uh, the answer but it it definitely is a po- point of inquiry inquiry for everyone because unless we inquire we might actually live by not what we agree with (laughs) like as if we live not by our own wisdom and intelligence so to inquire where my solution gonna come from outside or from within from attending myself beautiful I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have a satsang session and share about your meditation practice and the way that you share and inspire Advait Vedant through Yoga Tales and just through the way that you are. You kind of, you're someone I see as you kind of exude that meditation practice in the waking state as well. So, Thank you for sharing your energy with me and um, I'll put all the links in the show notes if people want to watch any of the videos, subscribe on Patreon and meditate with you. So I'll leave all of that in the show notes and just really lots of love and appreciation for you. Thanks a lot. Actually, it's beautiful to, um, to spend this hour with you. I think like my sense now after this hour is that people should talk to each other more often uh, like a podcast, like that everybody has interesting things to say. So actually people should often uh, just speak about that which truly uh, is deep and fascinating for you. So that was just beautiful, beautiful to see how much can... Um, be shared and uh, revealed when we talk uh, about that which is dear to us Mm -hmm. and I guess that is you know that's the essence of satsang and that's why I know you and I are both similar in that way that we get lit up you know having these kind of conversations you probably get off and you know you kind of there's a natural high or natural inspiration to want to just close the eyes and tap into that space. So I think we arrived, we arrived there. We landed. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps the show reach more people. If you'd like to have your greatest spiritual questions answered on the show, send them to me through social or email. And don't forget to follow on your favorite streaming platforms. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the path together. Music graciously offered by Heidi Herdia Groschler. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.